In John chapter 16, Jesus informs his disciples that he's going to be going away. And they're not going to see him. And they're confused by this. They don't understand. They're disappointed. They're, they're not exactly sure what's going on. And here, in, and Jesus picks up on this. And here in John chapter 16, in verse 18, so they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, is this what you are asking yourselves, what I meant by saying, a little while you will not see me, and again in a little while you will see me? Of course, referring to his, res his death and crucifixion and resurrection. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. Especially love that analogy that Jesus uses to illustrate this larger point that I want to talk about this morning, about how when a woman goes into labor, there is great pain and, and sorrow and difficulty. But when the baby is born, all of that is forgotten for the joy that is upon them. You know, we live in very challenging and even perilous times, do we not? And many people even begin to wonder, Darren, is this ever going to get better? It is. It is, and I know it is because God has promised us it will. But that doesn't remove the fact that we face challenges. But here is God's promise, that whatever challenges we face today will be far, far outweighed by the glory that is to be revealed in the time to come. And that is what I want us to talk about this morning. Today we groan, but tomorrow we see glory. And so if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. We're going to be reading verses 16 through 27 this morning. So Romans 8, 16 through 27. Let's read this together. And by the way, um, I just want you to know, when I say let's read this together, you are free to read this out loud. I love nothing more than hearing your voices reading the word of God. It warms my heart. It truly does. So let's read this together. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. You can say amen if you want. <laughs> for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. 
For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. The redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Amen. Thank God for that. And so we see here what I would call um, three groans and one glory. <laughs> but we see this in this passage here. We see ta Paul talking about how we groan now, but our future is one of glory. Look, we have the Holy Spirit. We know that. In previous weeks, we've talked about how we have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, that we have been adopted into God's family. And not only that, we see that the Holy Spirit himself empowers us as God's people to live lives that reflect God's righteousness and his goodness. So we know all that. We know that we have the Holy Spirit. We know the Holy Spirit empowers us. We know the Holy Spirit fills us. We know the Holy Spirit has adopted us into God's family. But this does not mean that we will not face troubles. In fact, it's guaranteed that we will. In John chapter 16, Jesus says this. Jesus says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. Notice what Jesus says there. He doesn't say in the world you might have tribulation. Sometimes you'll have tribulation. He says you will have tribulation. You will have troubles, trials, sufferings, problems, issues. In this world you have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Look, we are going to have troubles. We're going to have difficulties. But we can rest assured of a couple of things. We can know that even in the midst of our difficulties and the trials and the troubles that face us, that God has a purpose in them. That he is shaping us, he is conforming us, he is teaching us, he is training us. He is causing us to rely on him, to look to him, that he is molding us and shaping us into the image of Christ. Look, I don't like troubles any more than you do, but I recognize them sometimes for what they are. If anyone here has ever been a woodworker, I'm, I'm not going to claim that I've been a woodworker. I, uh, I took wood shop in, in junior high school. That's about it. <laughs> Remember, I made my dad a couple of tables for like his birthday and all that. He still has them to this day. You know, it's kind of sweet. But my father-in-law was a woodworker. Half the furniture in our house is actually made by him. And I would go out and sometimes see him, and he would just be gently sanding something. Just, you know, and I remember once I was watching him just gently sand the corner of a cabinet that he was making. Actually, he was making it for my mother-in-law. He was making it for his wife. And, and I'm just watching him taking this fine sandpaper and just, 
And I felt like God speak to me and say, you know, Darren, I just need to do that in the corners of your life. Just need to sand those rough corners off. How do you do that? Troubles, trials, <laughs> stuff you don't like. <laughs> Look, God has a purpose in them. God has a purpose in our trials, but at the same time, we also recognize that we live in a broken and fallen world. And so it kind of comes with the territory. And so we groan in the meantime. As a matter of fact, in these verses, we see a couple of things that I want us to take a deeper look at. First, we see that creation groans. We see that creation groans. All right? He says here in verse 19, For the creation waits with eager, and, with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. In other words, creation is just waiting for God to kind of reshape everything for the renewal of all things. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Look, God's creation, his whole created order, has been groaning since the fall. What we know is this, is that in the fall, it didn't just pose problems for us, it also brought decay and death into God's created order. Notice what it says here in Genesis chapter 3, verses 17 and 19. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. You are dust, and to dust you shall return. In, the, in Adam and Eve's disobedience to God, in their rebellion, we see that not only was sin brought into the world and humanity subjected to decay and death, but also the created order was subjected to that. And so to this day, the created order yearns and desires for the renewal of all things, for the new heaven and the new earth of which our we will occupy in our resurrection bodies. And so even today, we know that creation doesn't always work as it was created to, as it should. Creation itself groans for the renewal of all things. But we also see that we groan, that we groan. The church groans. In verse 23, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. We too groan for the redemption that God has promised to bring about. In other words, we long for our resurrection bodies. I don't know about you, but I long for my resurrection body. All right? If I can't have my resurrection body, I want at least that 21-year-old body I had. <laughs> I'll take that. No, I, I long for my resurrection body. I long for that body that will not decay, for that body that will always be renewed, you know, for that time in which God has promised no more will there be any more tears for all the former things have passed away. I long 
for that time. But in the meantime, we groan. I like how uh, pastor and uh, commentator Ray Stedman puts it. He says, our lives consist of groans. <laughs> He's right. Our lives consist of groans. We groan because of the ravages that sin makes in our lives and in the lives of those we love. Also, we groan because we see the possibilities that are not only captured and employed, and we groan because we see gifted people who are wasting their lives, and we would love to see something else happening. It is recorded that as he drew near to the tomb of Lazarus, Jesus groaned in his spirit because he was so burdened by the ravages that sin had made in a believing family. He groaned even though he knew that he would soon raise Lazarus from the dead. So we groan in our spirits. We groan in disappointment, in bereavement, in sorrow. We groan physically in our pain and limitation. Life consists of a great deal of groaning. Is this not true? It is. We groan. We wait because we know that things aren't as they should be. But God is making all things new. And so in this groaning, we see a couple of things here. As we wait, we share in Jesus' sufferings and we suffer for the sake of Christ. As we wait. First, we share in Jesus' sufferings. You may say, Darren, what's the distinction here? It's almost like a, a distinction without a difference. That we would suffer for the sake of Christ and share in Jesus' sufferings. But there's a big difference here. First, we share in Jesus' sufferings. Notice here in verse 17. It says, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also glorify, be glorified with him. In other words, here in our groaning, we suffer for the sake of Christ. <clears throat> in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul puts it this way. He said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. We share in Christ's sufferings. What is this sufferings that he's talking about? It is this. Just as Jesus was burdened by the sin, just as he walked up to the tomb of Lazarus and was burdened by the brokenness of sin, was burdened by what sin had done in the world, was burdened by a desire to see people come to a saving knowledge of him as Messiah, just as that burdened him, so that too should burden us as well. We too, as God's people, should be burdened by the brokenness we see in this world, by the injustice, by the hatred, by the hypocrisy. This too should be a burden to us. We should be burdened in prayer for those that we love, those that do not know Christ, our neighbors, our coworkers, those that we care about and love and so desire to see have a life and a future and a hope. Those things should burden us as well. Just as they burden Jesus, we too should be burdened by such things. And in that sense, we suffer with Christ. That just as Jesus desired to go and to see the gospel brought to the whole world, we too should desire those things. And so we suffer with him. 
with the burdens that he had, we too, we share in those things. And that is what he means, I believe here, by that we share in the sufferings of, of Christ, that just as he was burdened by others, we too should be burdened as well. But not only do we share in Christ's sufferings, but we also suffer for the sake of Christ. We suffer for the sake of Christ. What is the difference here? Let me read in 2 Timothy 3, 10 through 12. You, however, Paul speaking to Timothy, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to be at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from all of them the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And so we suffer for the sake of Christ in this sense, that we, when we follow Christ, we will be the objects of persecution at one time or another. You know, there are people in the world right now, people in China. China is undergoing, I believe, a clamping down, even in many ways. There are people in Iran. There are Christians in Iran. There are Christians in the Middle East and other parts of the world right now who are suffering persecution for the sake of Christ. They are being hounded and persecuted. They are being tortured, all because they claim to know Christ as their Messiah. And we too, as God's people, as we continue to hold fast to Jesus, to hold fast to his word, we too shall find ourselves the objects of scorn in this culture in which we live. We too shall find ourselves in a position where we will continue to be marginalized in some sense, all because we claim to know Jesus as Messiah and Lord. So we suffer for the sake of Christ. We are willing to endure these things. Paul even says, all those who wish to live a godly life will be persecuted. Maybe that persecution is nothing more than the, than the gentle ribbing of a coworker or the scorn and disdain of a family member. Or perhaps if you're somewhere else in another country, in a country in which Christianity is technically illegal, that you would suffer for your faith. I'll never forget, uh, many of you may or may not know, for a, a number of years, a couple of years actually, I went to Vietnam to train pastors in the underground church. This is before pre-COVID. I would go every other year. And I would go and train pastors there. The underground church was basically the evangelical church in Vietnam because Vietnam is a communist country. And technically speaking, Christianity is illegal except for those forms which they allow. But there was a whole underground movement of Christians there. The spirit was moving in powerful ways. But what they needed was training. And so they, uh, this organization I worked with would bring pastors in to train uh, to train them, to teach them. The goal was to give them essentially the, uh, a four-year equivalent of a four-year Bible college education. And so I would go there, and every day, they would, uh, a young pastor would pick me up on a scooter at my hotel, and he would, and by the way, the, the traffic laws and everything there in Vietnam are mere suggestions. Just want you to know that. It's Looks, it's controlled chaos. But he's just zipping along with me on the back of 
of the scooter, and he would take me to the training center every day, use a different route. We would go a different route. And they would use a different pastor sometimes. All in an effort to what? To kind of hide the fact, you know, of what they're doing. Evade any kind of authorities following or, or anything like that. You know, I, I just, you'd be zipping along in this scooter, and I'm like, oh, that was a stop sign. <laughs> and there's a crowd there, so we go on the sidewalk and go around on the sidewalk and come back down. And I'm just thinking, okay, <laughs> this may be it for me, Lord. Look, but I remember the one pastor there who headed up, um, it was, the training was happening at his house, and um, his, you know, Pastor Dan, Dan wasn't his name, but, you know, that's referred to him, Pastor Dan. Um, but he was a pastor in the 60s, and after Vietnam fell, he would tell stories about how he would, was imprisoned and tortured, literally tortured. They would, every day, they would take a gun, put it to his head, and, you know, you know, deny Christ, and he wouldn't do it. Sometimes they would pull the trigger, and it would be an empty chamber. And, you know, he'd tell me stories of like that, and I'd just say, you know, you're the real hero here, not me. But there are people who are suffering for the sake of Christ right now, today. But this is what we endure. Why? Because Christ, because we believe this firm fact that even today, if we groan, tomorrow we have glory. For this is what he says here in verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. And so we see ourselves go from groaning to glory. Look, Paul does not downplay or deny in any way the troubles or trials that we will face. He does not sugarcoat them. He does not, you know, marginalize them. He does not try to give you the easy sell. He doesn't do any of that. He tells us that we will face trouble. However, the hope that we have ultimately is rooted in this, that the troubles we face today pale in comparison to the glory that is going to be revealed in us tomorrow. Peter puts it like this. <clears throat> Peter says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial which comes when it comes to you upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. When his glory is revealed. And so don't be surprised when you find yourself facing difficult times, but rather be glad insofar as we know that just as we suffer with him today, there will be great glory tomorrow. But then you say, Darren, I don't know. That, that sounds kind of hard. How are we going to get through that? I'm glad you asked. Because here's the thing. We won't. We need help. We need help. We need something beyond our own strength. And this is where God comes in. Because what we have is we have God himself God the Holy Spirit praying for us. The hope we have in Christ is confirmed by a few things. The hope we have in Christ is confirmed by a few things. And we have hope. We have real hope. All right? The hope we have in Christ is confirmed first by the presence of the Holy Spirit in us. 
It is confirmed by the presence of the Holy Spirit in us. Verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. You are already God's children. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you have been adopted into God's family. The Holy Spirit has baptized you into the body of Christ. You have been made a child of God. And so the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So don't let anybody tell you different. Likewise, in verse 26, likewise the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. I want you to hold to that. If you find yourself in a place where you feel weak, and by the way, what Paul or any of the writers here are not doing are marginalizing the problems that we face. Whether your problems are whether relational you might be facing financial issues. Maybe there's family troubles that you're going through. Could be a work issue, a health issue. Whatever you're facing today, these are real troubles. But we can hold fast that the glory that is to come outweighs any troubles that we have today. But at the same time, I also want you to know something, that if you find yourself in a place of weakness, Pray and ask because the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. We have the presence of the Holy Spirit in us. So the hope we have in Christ is confirmed first by the presence of the Holy Spirit in us. Second, the hope we have in Christ is confirmed by the power of the Holy Spirit through us. The power of the Holy Spirit through us. So first, the presence of the Holy Spirit in us. Second, the power of the Holy Spirit through us. Verse 26, again, likewise the Spirit helps us in our weakness. And I like what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul says, Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Look, Paul Paul was an educated man, a brilliant man. He was one of the leading students under Gamaliel, and Gamaliel is considered one of the greatest rabbis of Judaism. He was a Hebrew. He had a lot going for him socially, but yet here he says, I indeed, I count everything as a loss because of their surpassing, surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through, my faith in, that which comes through faith in Christ the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I, may be, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. We have the power of the Holy Spirit through us, working through us. We have the presence of the Holy Spirit in us. We have the power of the Holy Spirit through us. You know, the Holy Spirit carries you at times when I believe we don't even recognize. We don't even recognize. 
There, there have been times I have looked back on my life and I've gone through some difficulties. And I look back and the desire, part of me wants to pat myself on the back and say, boy, Darren, you're strong. No, you weren't. The Holy Spirit was carrying me in ways that I didn't even recognize. You know? Sometimes I, I, you know, I'm like a young kid whose dad's paying for everything, and he's just thinking it's all on him. No. The Holy Spirit carries us at times we don't even see it. We don't even recognize it. The prayer, we have the presence of the Holy Spirit in us. We have the power of the Holy Spirit through us. But finally, and this is good, we have the prayer of the Holy Spirit for us. The prayer of the Holy Spirit for us. Notice what he says here. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us. Do you know what this term intercedes mean? To intercede? It's to stand in the gap. Stand in the gap. To stand in the gap on behalf of someone else. To come to their defense. To stand in the gap. It's almost like we're constantly finding ourselves thrown in prison and the Holy Spirit's constantly bailing us out. The Holy Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Even now, right this second, the Holy, I was going to say the Holy Spirit's interceding for you. Actually, he's interceding for me. Holy Spirit's going, you know, God's up there. Help him. Help him. Help him, Holy Spirit. He needs help. <laughs> you know, it's a, a tradition, in, um, especially in, in black churches, where if the pastor's faltering, they start going, help him, Jesus. Help him. I ever hear that from you guys, I know I'm in trouble. <laughs> but here's what I do know. The Holy Spirit is even now saying, help him. The Holy Spirit is right this second interceding for us. Interceding for you. Because God knows what's going on in your life. He knows what's going on in your heart. He knows the troubles you face. Even those troubles that you haven't told anybody else that you haven't shared with anyone else, those private concerns, troubles, worries, fears, anxieties, all those things that right now you are carrying, the Holy Spirit is right now praying for you in those things. Interceding according to the will of the Father. I don't know about you, but that brings me comfort and strength. Knowing that God himself helps me in this way. What a wonderful and glorious thing that is. That the Holy Spirit, that we have hope in Christ and that this hope is confirmed by the presence of the Holy Spirit in us. It is confirmed by the power of the Holy Spirit through us and it is confirmed by the prayer of the Holy Spirit for us. Whatever trouble you are facing today, I want you to know this that the glory to be revealed to you in the future and tomorrow far outweighs any of this. 
It does. You have a bright future. You have a wonderful future. You have a future in Christ that cannot be matched. Nothing this world offers us can match what God has already given us in Jesus Christ. So don't let the world sell you anything. You hold fast to Jesus. You hold fast to him and the hope he holds out. Because what he, he has already given you is a precious treasure that cannot be matched by anything this world offers. Amen? Let's pray. Well, Father, I thank you so very much that we can know that the troubles we face today, even though these troubles are real and they are significant, that even now the Holy Spirit prays for us. And I pray, Lord, that you would continue just to guide and direct our steps and strengthen us. And help us, Lord, to find hope and strength in knowing that the glory to be revealed in us far outweighs any sufferings or trouble we face this day. I know, Lord, you don't tell us that to marginalize our troubles, but rather to give us hope in knowing that we have a bright future. But while we wait, Lord, help us to hold fast to you. Help us, Lord, to give ourselves to you in all our ways. And Father, I do pray and ask that you would send the Holy Spirit into this place, that even as you pray for us, that you would fill us and strengthen us and bless your church. We thank you for this time, Lord. We're grateful for it. I ask that you bless your people. And I ask, Lord, in all of this, you're glorified and lifted up. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. In God's people said, amen. amen.